To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Welcome, thank you, all who are gathering with us this morning and all who are listening later today through our recordings. Thank you for devoting yourself to the Lord this day. While we're doing away with a lot of our non-essential things this morning, a lot of our preferences we're, we're giving up this morning, we're here to to continue devoting ourselves to, to the reading and, and pre- preaching of God's word and, and to praying. And we are eager to do this, to receive grace and peace from God and to call out to him humbly but confidently and trusting for his help in these times of need. So we do this as we do every week by starting by hearing from God's word. As Psalm 90 tells us, God has been our dwelling place from generation to generation. So let us go to the Lord now and hear from his word. Let's stand together as we read from Psalm 46. We can read along together in the underlined portions. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's sing. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing Our helper he amid the flood A mortal is prevailing For still our ancient foe Does seek to work us woe His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate 
earth is not his kingdom remains forever the strong and mighty king we come first to him as sinners in need of forgiveness so let us cry out to him now to forgive us for the ways we've loved other things more than him for the ways we've trusted in other things more than him this week let's pray together most merciful god we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done And by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. 
For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. Through Jesus Christ, God Almighty is for us. And as Romans 8 tells us, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, through Jesus Christ, God Almighty is for us. We know that God loves us because he gave up his son. And Jesus, he has risen from the dead and he gives us the victory through him. He is interceding for us. And as we prepare to call on him to help, let us pause here and wonder. Behold Christ before the throne this morning. Let's sing together.
He brings us before God, pure and, and with the rights as children to call on God Almighty as Father. And so as his children, we come to him and we bring our burdens with him. We cast our anxieties on him. And this morning, we should have many burdens to bring him. We should have burdens for ourselves and for our families, for our neighbors, for our church, for our community and world. And so we're going to bring those to God this morning. As we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, we remind ourselves that we can bring our burdens to God and we have a responsibility as well to intercede to God in this moment. And so the things that maybe we've been talking to ourselves about a lot this week or talking with others about this week, we now need to talk to them about God. There's going to be space between the verses to pray. Let us, as we sing this hymn, remind ourselves of our access to God. Jesus, 
knows our every Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see your faces today. Um, I'll be honest with you, I did not think that this many would be here this morning, but every time that I think something like that, and Brian can attest to this, that every time that I think something like that, the Lord just overwhelms, um, and he's done it time and time again, so... We are glad to be worshiping the triune God with you this morning. Um, as we go in our, to our pastoral prayer, um, we're going to pray for um, the situation within our world, our state, our city, um, those affected by the coronavirus, and everything that is entailed with that. Um, I just want to to read from Hebrews 4 as... We sang before the throne and 
What a friend we have in Jesus. Listen to these words. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that there we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So as we pray this morning, we are going before a God who is loving and is there for us in our time of greatest need. So if you would, please bow your heads, pray with me in your seats. This prayer that I'm going to be praying has been adapted from a a Scottish pastor. Living God, in our hour of need, we turn again to you, for we have nowhere else to turn. We put our faith in you because you have proved your faithfulness time and again. We reaffirm our love for you because you have never let us go. We thank you that you are not distant from us, but have drawn near in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. He has shared our life, tasted our death, and defeated it. He understands our worries and our fears. Help us to respond as your children now. We pray for this pandemic spreading across our world, remembering all who have lost loved ones already, and are praying for those who are seriously ill at this time. Lord, we uphold our healthcare system as it responds to this added pressure on an already overstretched service. We pray for our doctors and nurses and all in the caring professions who work to help and support people as best they can. We remember those working behind the scenes, testing samples, confirming results, giving information to patients. We uphold others trying to understand this virus better, working to create an effective remedy. Lord, we pray for our governments that you have put over us, both in Columbus and Washington, D.C., as they work with the best medical advice to guide us on how we should respond and what actions we should take. We pray that these guidelines might be taken seriously and that all would put them into action. May this crisis bring out the best in us, not the worst. Help us to live by faith, not by fear to build bridges, not barriers, and to resist all who would speak ill of any other group. May we not forget our responsibility to one another, not at least to the vulnerable and voiceless in our communities. Help us to find ways of keeping in touch and offering reassurance to those with underlying health issues, for any who feel particularly vulnerable or in danger right now. 
as the virus spreads, we pray for the disruption it causes to normal life, bringing new fears and anxieties. Lord, we cast those on you now. We pray for those who have been laid off as their work disappears, for financial hardship for individuals and businesses, for the impact on the economy and those that are planning on retirement. We pray for those whose trips, both for business and pleasure, have been canceled, and others where events long anticipated and planned for have been postponed. For those who are currently, as we speak, making contingency plans for their home-based work or child care or whatever else may fall under that, Lord. We pray, or we pray that our inconvenience not blind us to others' loss. We remember those who cannot visit loved ones in lockdown nursing homes. For elderly whose social contacts have been severely curtailed, help us to find creative ways of keeping in touch, of assuring them they are not forgotten or ignored. May churches find new ways of living through this time. May we not forget our faith, but draw strength from it. May our worship be heartfelt, our fellowship deepen, and our service increase. God of grace and God of mercy, hear our prayers. Strengthen us by your spirit so that we may carry on our lives as best as we are able, looking out for others, showing love in action, being faithful in prayer, and bringing encouragement, hope, and peace, always trusting in you, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, these prayers we lay at your feet in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And typically, at this time, we do the passing of the peace. And for Veritas, that means we get up and we show love by hugs and handshakes and hand pounds. And we're still going to pass the peace because the Lord knows we need a little peace right now. But if you could refrain showing typical Veritas peace to one another by just giving a wave or uh, a, a bow as George Washington used to do. He never shook hands apparently, and he only bowed. So if you would do that at this time, greet each other in the peace that comes through Jesus.
Peace be with you. If you wouldn't mind finding your seats, mind finding your seats. It's wonderful to hear, even in these times, the fellowship of the saints. Uh, this morning, we have the great privilege to have one of our friends uh, come back and bring God's word to us. Uh, John Pope, who is one of the pastors at Refuge Church, he preached here during our Sermon on the Mount series. Um, I remember in the very early days, we joined Refuge City Church for an Easter gathering, and, uh, and it was in Wright, Wright School, and uh, that seems like a lifetime ago, but uh, we love John. He has been a great friend to the pastors here and um, provided a lot of counsel in a lot of different situations. Uh, and so we are glad to have John back here uh, this morning. So John, if you wouldn't mind coming up here, I'll pray for you. I'll try not to handshake or hug you. Um, but brother, we are really thankful to have you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to partner around the gospel within the city of Dayton with a dear brother like John Pope and the brothers and sisters of Refuge Church Lord, I pray for John right now as he prepares and delivers the proclamation of your word. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit and that you would give him unction in his preaching and that you would give us hearts and ears that are ready to receive your word now. We pray, Father, that you would block our minds from what is going on outside of these walls right now. And that we would be able to focus on your glory, that we'd be able to focus on your word. And Lord, would you do a work in our hearts this morning so that we are able to go out of here and serve supernaturally and love supernaturally to our neighbors. Be with John now as he preaches, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Uh, two quick thoughts, irony, that I get a, a little uh, joy out of that um, I've been working over the past few months knowing that I'm transitioning out of my church and out of the region uh, on being more loving and showing my affection for, for people. I'm not a big hugger, uh, and so as soon as I start making some progress and like hugging and, you know, the Lord takes that away. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so yeah, just a, a bit of irony there. And then second irony, it's, of course, it's just like Garrison to preach the most depressing book uh, and to hand it to me as this epidemic is, is going on. Uh, and so uh, the irony there once again. And so, uh, no, I love your pastor. He's a good guy. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine and I'm encouraged that he feels comfortable uh, allowing me to, uh, to come and to speak with you guys this morning. Uh, and so uh, if you can uh, turn in your Bible to Ecclesiastes 9, um, I think this is a very timely text for what is currently going on uh, in our lives, in our community, in our country, and, and let's not forget in our world, right? Um, that this is an epidemic that is all over the world uh, right now. And uh, 
As I was thinking about this text this week, I couldn't help but think about uh, every summer, my family used to go to North Carolina to visit my grandparents. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, my, my mom was originally from North Carolina, and we used to always go down and, and visit my grandparents every summer for about two weeks. And uh, our family was, was close to another family, and... Um, as I went there uh, several times, they, there, this family had a, a son who was about 10 years older than I was. And, uh, you know, I really just, uh, it was one of these first people, I'm sure this happened to you growing up, just one of those people that you just kind of admired, you know, from a distance. Um, you know, he was uh, a good looking guy, you know, he was charismatic, um, you know, very outgoing. He was an athlete, you know, he was like a, a star basketball player and baseball player and football player and all, all the, you know, traditional American sports. Was popular with the ladies, right? Um, and, uh, you know, since he was 10 years older than I was, he had a car and he could drive and he could do all these things that I, I couldn't do. And for some reason, he had taken a liking to me, that he would really engage me as a, you know, seven, eight-year-old boy, six-year-old boy, and uh, he would even sometimes take me out, and we'd go play basketball, or, you know, uh, and I just really had all this admiration for him, you know, uh, and respect for him, and, and, and felt a bond with him. And he was just, his life seemed like it was so much full of potential, right? And then, uh, one summer, we went down, um, and I was looking forward to seeing him again, you know, just, you know, this, this cool young guy, you know, I was looking forward to, to seeing him uh, once again uh, down there. And then we got uh, tragic news that he had been shot and murdered um, just uh, a couple days to us being down there. And, you know, you, you look into it or you hear about that situation, and you say, okay, well, why, why did this happen? Was he hanging out with the wrong people or, you know, what, was there something through all of that that maybe he was a bit shadier than, than I thought he was? Or, and, and the more we heard about the, the story, it, those, it wasn't true. He was, he was just there at a house to, to pick up a friend um, and to, you know, go hang out with, a, with some other friends and a guy, a jealous guy that had started uh, his, his friend had started dating his ex-girlfriend, and he came in there to, you know, to shoot the guy, and he ended up shooting this young man instead. And I, I think, as I think about that story, as I think about that event, I think that was the first time in my life where I saw someone who was full of potential, who seemingly was semi-successful for his age, you know, um, someone to be admired, and then suddenly, he's gone. And I think our, our author of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 9 recognizes this same reality. That there's something in our soul that screams out when we see things like that. Someone so much full of potential and, and, and kind of succeeding at life and then suddenly they're snatched away from us. It's hard. It's a hard reality to, to face. And so if I had kind of one main theme that I want us to, to take away today, even as we think about what's happening in our community and in our world, it would be this. 
Without Christ, we face the reality of a sudden, certain death. Without Christ, we face the reality of a sudden, certain death. That's a hard thing to hear this morning. But that's where our author is taking us. So let's look at this together. I have four kind of key takeaways that we want to look at that brought me to that conclusion. In verses 1 through 3, we see the certainty of fate. The certainty of fate. See, our author recognizes this same tension, this same reality that I'm talking to you about with this story that I can remember from such a young age. That what he recognizes here is that there is a tension between what the Bible says and how the world operates. He's acknowledging that tension, right? Listen to what he says here in verse 1. He says, by all this I laid to heart, examining it all, right? That that statement there has an assumption to it. It's assuming that we've kind of heard, that we've attentively listened to the argument from chapters 1 through 8 up to this point, okay? So he's saying, I, all of I've observed, right, if, if you know, if I'm, I'm assuming that you guys have been here for the Ecclesiastes series and, and Garrison's preached through that, or maybe some of the other elders as well, and, and so you understand everything that he's laid out up to this point, that he's been observing the world as it is, right? Like almost like a, a biblical scientist, right? <laughs> he's just gathering the data and looking at it and making his interpretations, right? But it's not the only thing that he, it's not just what he's observing with the naked eye. I think the, uh, the uh, a kind of subplot here or assumption in our author's mind is that he's also observed scripture, Right? Because he's, he's recognizing this, this tension between what the, the Word of God says and what he sees in the world. So when he says, I've laid all this to my heart, examining it all, he means all. Right? Not just what he observes with the naked eye, but what he observes with the naked eye and coupled with the Word of God. And so he starts off with a very orthodox creed here. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God, right? Is that not what we want to hear? Is that not a biblical theme? Is it not encouraging for the soul to know, hey, the righteous, right? And that's us as people who are, are striving to love and to treasure Jesus and to make him to the centerpiece of our lives, knowing that he's changing us from the inside out. We want to be wise, we want to be righteous, we want our deeds to be shaped and molded by God's sovereign decrees. And to know that all of that is in God's hands is like, yes, encouraging. That's what I want. But then what does he immediately do after that? He gets us all excited and then boom. Brings us back down. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all since the same events happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, and to him who sacrifices, him who does not sacrifice. 
As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears as he whose one shuns an oath, this is an evil that is not done under the sun, that is the same event happens to all. So immediately, as soon as he gets us all excited that we're in the hands of God, then he says, it makes no difference. The fate of the righteous and the unrighteous is the same. The fate of the sinner and the saint is the same. The fate of the good and the evil is the same. Right? Now, this is not a, an ultimate sense. He's just recognizing all die. <laughs> Whether we're righteous or we're unrighteous, we face the same fate. We all will perish. Like I said, this is a tough reality. It doesn't sit well necessarily with our souls right away. Right? Because it's, if I'm pursuing righteousness, I'm pursuing holiness, if I'm pursuing wisdom, if I'm pursuing good deeds, shouldn't there be a bit more of an advantage for me? Because that seems to be the implication of the promise of Scripture. Right? And so he's living in this tension. He say, I love what he says here in verse 3. This is an evil. <laughs> that it is done under the sun. He's saying this is not right. This makes me uncomfortable. As it should us all. This is an evil. That the way of the righteous, the way of the wise, the way of the good, the way of those who are striving to be clean and pure and to be sacrificial in their living, all of these people should succeed. That is the promise of the Torah. That is the promise of the prophets. That is the promise of the wisdom literature. But there's a tension. It makes me think of one of my heroes. As some of you I, I know know this, but some of you may not. You know, I'm a, I'm a minority. Okay? It's hard to tell. I know, I've got light skin. Um, but my, my father is African-American. My mother is Euro-American descent. And so one of my heroes is, is Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., And I think Dr. King, as most of us in this room would affirm, was one who was striving to bring righteousness into the world, to bring good deeds into the world. Right? I, I know the aspects of Dr. King's life. I know he was not a perfect man. Okay? But we could still look at the impact. We can still look at what he was striving to do and say, yes, like I can get behind that. And he was really, you know, he was one of the first times where I saw a minority who was really, like, well thought out, and he was bright and gifted and young and successful. And then what happens? Gone. In an instant. The same fate that we all have to face, Dr. King faced as well died. 
1968, assassinated by James Earl Ray. James Earl Ray continues to go on to live until 1998. He's not dead. He's not in the ground. And isn't there something in your soul that says that's not right? That is an evil. Why this racist, assassinating man gets to live longer than the one who was trying to bring good and justice and, and, and unify people together into the world? What, that's not right. That's what our author is trying to get at here. But the reality is, is we all face it. There is a certainty to our fate. Now notice, as he is thinking about this, I, I think our author is very familiar with the Torah. I think he's very familiar with the prophets. I think he's even somewhat familiar with the, the wisdom literature. All this, this language in here is influenced by that, right? Like you, you can see some of that, right, as the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, that's very much like wisdom literature, that's very much prophetic language, that's very much Torah language. Clean, unclean, like that sounds like the sacrificial, the Mosaic law there, right? And so when we come to the second part of verse 3, it makes sense. He says, also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. Where does he get that idea from? He gets that from, I think, from Genesis 6-5, right? In the Noetic account, before God floods the earth, and he says, man's, all of man's heart intent is bent toward evil. I think this is the author's way of saying that why is this in the world? Us. <laughs> We're the problem. As much as we may pursue righteousness, as much as we may pursue good, as much as we may pursue cleanliness, we're still wicked. <laughs> We're the ones who have brought evil into the world. It goes all the way back to, as he's meditating on the Torah, he's going back to our first parents. Right? That God set up the world in such a way that not only humanity, but plants, animals, everything in the world could flourish. That we were called to be stewards of what God had created. He puts together created order that you read Genesis 1 and it's orderly, right? And then he gets to the end and as he set up this wonderful environment because it was in verse 2, it says the earth was out form and void and it was in chaos as a way of saying that. It was not habitable. It was toxic. And so he sets it up in such a way where plants and animals and, and then at the height of creation, humanity can flourish. He sets humanity into that. And he says, be my steward. You're the only thing in creation that I've given my image to. And then what do our first parents do? They rebel. They bring evil, chaos, decay, destruction into the world. It is decreation instead of creation. And we've been living under that curse ever since. This is what I think our author recognizes. This is the certainty of our fate. Next, I want to skip down to verses 11 through 12. And what I think we are called to, to see here is the suddenness of our fate. The suddenness of our fate. 
This is what he says here in verse 11. He says, again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, or favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For, the man, for man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are the snare at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So author gives an illustration here, right, that an animal doesn't know when it's going to be, it's just swimming along in the ocean here, right? It's swimming along in the river, and it's snatched up into a net. And if you've ever seen that, you can kind of see the, the, the fish is kind of frantic, right? It's snatched up in the net. It wasn't expecting to be snatched. The, the animal that is caught in a, in a bear trap or, you know, is not expecting that as it's frolicking throughout the woods. <laughs> and he's saying this is the fate of us all, the suddenness that death could come in an instant. It's sudden. No one can plan for this. I think this actually, it goes back and it explains a, a weird phrase that he gave in, in verse 1. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Whether it is those who love God or those who hate God suddenness of death can come at any moment. Right? Once again, we can think of Dr. King here. You think Dr. King knows when he's going to, to give this speech at this hotel here in Memphis, Tennessee? Is he planning on dying that day? Does he know death is knocking at his door? No. Now, Dr. King had faced death on multiple occasions. He had received death threats. He had, you know, had experienced church bombings, right? You can read his biography, and there's a time when he sends his family away, and he's, he's drinking a cup of coffee in his, in his, uh, in his, uh, his kitchen, shaking, knowing that he's right at death's door. Read Micah Edmondson's biography of Dr. King. He says, In the theology of my father swept over me and comforted my soul. What was he talking about? I think he was talking about the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the only thing that was providing comfort for him. And for so long, Dr. King had kind of rejected that, had pushed away from that, but then that was the only thing that he found comfort in. But he doesn't, he's not there at this hotel in Memphis just, oh, I'm expecting Germs A. O'Reilly to shoot me today. No, the suddenness of, of, of his assassination, it, it comes out of nowhere. Much like the fish into the net or to the animal into the, the trap. I think this in, in our author's mind is more evidence of decreation. This is more evidence of Death ruling. This is chaos. This is decreation, not creation. 
This is the suddenness of our fate. We have the certainty of our fate and we have the suddenness of our fate. Now, for our author, it's, it's not all doom and gloom, right? We've got this wonderful kind of like insertion here in the middle of this passage in verses 7 through 10. As he's thinking about all of this, that the certainty of our fate, the suddenness of our fate, that he recognized there is a, the blessing of fortune, even in the midst of all of that. Look with me in verse 7. He says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. See, the bread would have been a symbol of our everyday needs. Right? Every, you, you give us today our daily bread, is what the Lord says in his prayer. These have been everyday things that you need, like food and, and water. Basic nourishments that sustain our lives. The wine would have been a symbol of, of gourmet food, right? right? This is uh, not the average, average day food. I've got my little vanilla latte down here, right, that I'm drinking. It's, it's, I don't need that to survive. It's a little gourmet, Right? Not a real coffee drinker. I'm a poser, right? You know, that's why I need the frou-frou stuff in it. This is the birthday cake. This is wine at a, a dinner party. These are not things that we need. These are gourmet things. These are little extra pleasures. And then notice this little statement. He says, for God has already approved what you do. All of these things are a gift from the Lord. They're a blessing. So enjoy them, is what he's saying. No reason to feel guilty about eating bread or drinking wine or enjoying gourmet food. These are gifts from the Lord. These things are things that are approved by God. They're not unrighteous things. They're, they're righteous things. Enjoy them while you have them. He goes on and lists them more. Let your garments be also as white and let not oil be lacking on your head. Would these be very practical things in a desert climate? Right? You need lighter clothes if you're out in the hot sun. You need the oil so that your skin doesn't crack. And, you know, as a minority, my, my skin gets very dry. I mean, you know, it was being on a basketball team growing up that I had to learn to put lotion on, right? Like until from the other brothers, you know. I uh, wasn't being taught those things by my dad. <laughs> I said, John, your skin look ashy. You got to put some lotion on. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> so, Right? Enjoy the, the wife with whom you love, right? This is certainly talking about marriage, but it could be any intimate relationship, right? Relationship that we might, intimate relationship we have with our children, intimate relationship we have with our roommates, our friends, our coworkers. Enjoy these things. They're a gift from the Lord. They're a blessing, right? And then he says, his final one is, is work. Work is a gift, Ask anyone. I mean, I've got a dear friend who suffers from chronic illness. You know, it's just really ramped up within the past few years, and he can't physically go to work anymore, and he misses it. Ask anyone who has, has had work taken away. Think of people who get into retirement. Right? They, they, since they don't even know who they are anymore, that we found it's healthier for them that when they do retire, that they keep working, finding things to do. Work is a gift. It's not a part of the curse, right? 
The curse was that work would work against us. <laughs> like that was the curse. You work so hard at something and you don't seem to get anywhere, right? But all of these things are approved by God. They're wonderful gifts from the Lord. And so our author's encouragement is enjoy them while you have them. Enjoy the bread, enjoy the wine, enjoy the garments, right? I don't, I don't think that garments one is the, you know, license to go out and just spend, you know, fancy clothes, okay? And then notice what I said here. These were everyday practical needs, okay? All right. That's my minimalism coming out. Um, all right. So we're fortunate to have these things. We're fortunate. Now, Notice what he says here at the end of verse 10, because I think he acknowledges something important that we all need to recognize. He says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Well, that's an odd phrase, especially to us Christians, right? You tell me I'm going to hell. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. Sheol, in the wisdom literature, and really throughout the whole Old Testament, can sometimes mean hell, but it does not exclusively mean that. I think what he's getting at here is that Sheol is a word picture of being under divine judgment. And if that is the case, then he's reaffirming what he's already said before. Because of the sin of our first parents and because we have stayed in that same cycle of sin, we face the same fate as them. The wages of sin is death. We all face the certainty of death and the suddenness of death. That is Sheol under divine judgment. We all deserve to die. That's what he's getting at. Now, I've depressed you for long enough. Face some harsh realities here. So let me give us some hope. I think the author has been sprinkling it throughout air. So let's narrow in on it. So the fourth one here, we, we've looked at the certainty of fate, we've looked at the suddenness of fate, we've looked at the blessing of fortune, and let's look at the certainty of fortune. The certainty of fortune. Look with me in verse 4. Right, and this is in the midst of that certainty of fate, right? Death comes to all, and listen to what he says here. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. Well, that's massive in the midst of all that depression. <laughs> but he who is joined with the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. And that's, a, that's an important little phrase there. Because, you know, a dog is, in, in many ways in our culture, something intimate, something cute, right? Something cuddly. Oh, look at that little puppy. Come on over here, pal. You know. In an ancient world, the dog is more like a rat. It's a disgusting little creature, right? And he's saying it's better to live <laughs> as a disgusting little creature than it is to be royalty. 
That's the image of a lion, right? It's, it's success, it's majesty. It's the king of the jungle. Better to live like a rat <laughs> and actually live than to be majestic and die. To hold on to your glory. Right? This is an honor-shame culture, which is hard for us. <laughs> We're not an honor-shame culture like they are in the East. Better to take a shameful posture and live than to hold on to your pride and die. This would have been shocking to the original reader. So what is the hope of this rat dog, right? It's the hope of him. That's, just for those of you who don't know, that's, those, those are those little dogs that, you know, they're basically just rats, you know. Um, just kidding. All right. Some of you have little dogs and are just really offended. I'm sorry. But, uh, I think what he's doing here, what he's meditating on as he's thinking about this language, as he's writing this sentence, is that I think he believes the law, the prophets, and the writings. He's finding hope in the midst of the chaos. He's finding creation in the midst of decreation. He's finding nourishment in the midst of decay and destruction. And he's finding it in the word of God, in the promises of God. So how, does, how is he doing this? How can fortune, flourishing, be certain in our author's mind? How can that be if he's recognized this tension that there's no hope, right? The righteous and the unrighteous face the same fate, the suddenness, the effects, the impact, all have the same on whether or not you're righteous or unrighteous or clean or unclean. How can he be so certain that we're that he can offer any kind of certainty to fortune, to flourishment? I think the answer is Jesus, my friends. <laughs> I think the answer is Jesus. So he, said, he goes on to say in, in verse 5, for the living know that they'll die, right? We're all going to die. But the dead know nothing. They have no reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. Forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So he's saying if, if you don't have any hope in God, yes, we, 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 we are going to die, both of us, righteous and unrighteous, good and evil, the, the, the wicked, right? The clean and unclean, all of these images, they're all going to die. But one dies with hope and the other dies with no hope. You see what, our author may have not known this when he's writing this. But once again, I, I think he, he, he could have this subconsciously in his mind that he's reading the law, the prophets, and the writings. He's familiar with those and he knows from Genesis 3 right away. That as sin comes into the world, what does God promise to Adam and Eve? That there will be a seed who comes and 
stomps the head of the snake that will put death to death. Put death to death. And he knows, as the story goes on, that there's going to be, that God narrows the scope on this, that there will be a seed of Abraham, that this Messiah, this seed will come from the line of Abraham. Through him, all the nations of the earth, that he will have an offspring, not offsprings, offspring. Paul picks up on that in the New Testament. He knows as he gets into Genesis 49 that God narrows the scope once again into to Genesis 49 that those become from the tribe of Judah, which was one of the, the 12 tribes of Israel, of Jacob. And he gets over to, to 2 Samuel 7 and he knows that God narrows the scope again that in, there's a lot of different families in the tribe of Judah, but now we're getting to the family of David. He knows There's this one that's coming that will put death to death, that will bring order back in the midst of chaos, that will begin recreation as we brought in decreation. He's trusting the promises of God. Go back here. Let's read this with this Christocentric lens right? The assumption of when you read things like the book of Proverbs, it says that the wise, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, I spent a lot of years in the book of Proverbs, and this always didn't make sense to me. It was, okay, if the wise are, that the wise are going to be rich in Proverbs, <laughs> right? And I'm looking at my life, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm pursuing wisdom. I'm pursuing your wisdom, and I'm not rich. The righteous are to flourish, It's like as I pursued righteousness, things got harder. (laughs) This doesn't make any sense to me. And what I was forgetting in those times is I'm not the wise one. I'm not the righteous one. Right? It's the swift are supposed to win the race. It's the strong that are supposed to win the battle. The wise are to to get the bread, the intelligent to get the riches, the knowledgeable to get to the favor. Well, who's the swift? Who's the strong? Who's the intelligent? Who's the knowledgeable? It's Jesus. It's not you and me. It's him. And what we see in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is that he took on our certain fate. He faced the suddenness of our faith. He even experienced the blessings and the fortunes that we, Jesus ate bread, Jesus drank wine, Jesus had intimate friendships and relationships. He had all those things and they were all snatched. Think about even phrases he said in the gospels. I don't know the hour. Only the father knows. This is a part of him taking on the fullness of humanity. We forget that at times, that our Apostles' Creed, that our Nicene Creed says, fully God and fully man. Jesus faced the same fate as you and me, but he conquered it. What a great sympathizing Savior. That Pastor JJ read through us from Hebrews 4. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
He's faced the same certainty of death and the suddenness of death. It came quickly for him. But he conquered it. And so, friends, the, the beauty of when we press into this is if we trust in Jesus, we have hope. Yes, we're not the king. We're not the lion. We're not the majestic animal. But we are the rats. We're the dogs. <laughs> But it's better for us to live as wicked sinners, right? Under God's grace through Jesus than to go on in pride and trying to be our majestic saviors ourselves. Jesus is beautiful once again, even from this dark, gloomy text. There's hope in the midst of it. Without Jesus, we face the reality of a sudden certain death. But with Jesus, we can face that reality with hope. Death will still come. It will come suddenly. We will all face it. But we can face it with hope. Because we have Jesus. The conqueror. The one whom all those promises and the law, the prophets and the writings are fulfilled in him. <laughs> he took on our punishment so that we could live. Aren't we thankful for Jesus this morning? He's beautiful once again. So let me pray. And then we're going to have a time of silent reflection before Brian comes up and leads us again in singing to our Savior. Right? And don't forget, I mean, it's, I, even as I say that phrase, I remember the words in the, the book of the 12, the minor prophets, that we have a Savior who sings over us too. We don't just sing to him, he sings over us. <laughs> I'm so thankful for Jesus. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? He's so great. <laughs> so let me pray. Thank God for our Savior, Jesus, once again, as Brian comes up. Father, I thank you. I thank you for revealing to us in the midst of a hard time in our city, in our state, in our country, in our continent, in our world, that there are many people who are facing the certainty and the suddenness of death knocking at their door and they're without hope. And so help us. And that was my prayer during our times of prayer is as Brian was pushing us to think about how we can go love our neighbor. The greatest way we can love them is to offer them Jesus. He gives them hope in the midst of potential death and decay and destruction in chaos he sets our souls back right, orderly. And anyone who's experienced anxiety and fear, it feels chaotic, those emotions. It's cluing us into that things are outside of our control, that there are forces in this world that we cannot do anything about. But through belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. 
And he's putting the world back right into order. Help us to love and treasure him and to keep him as the centerpiece of our lives. We need him now, every day. I thank you for the blessing that he is and the certainty he offers us. He is our fortune. It's in Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue on, we're going to sing a couple more songs as we invite God's word to dwell in us and we address one another with our songs and hymns and spiritual songs. As we do so, we want to commit ourselves to trusting God. As as he is holding tightly on us, we want to hold tightly on to him. One of the ways we do that is with the Apostles' Creed. So let's stand together. As we read the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's sing. Darkness veils his lovely face 
prepare to go out in a few minutes, we want to make sure that we pray for God's blessing on us as we go into a season that we haven't really experienced before. And so Pastor Dan's going to come up and offer a second pastoral prayer for us in this time. And we're going to continue to sing God's word and his blessing to us as we go. Should we remain standing or be seated? Let's be seated. So I was asked to um, come and, and do another uh, pastoral prayer. This time it's going to be very specific. That is to say that we are being sent out of here, out of our gatherings. This is week in and week out, but we want it to be more intentional with it. And now so we are being sent or, or actually commissioned kind of prayer out there. And so as I was thinking about how to pray that, um, I thought I had something in mind. And then Pastor John came and preached that message. And so we're, we're in a context, and this context is Hebel. Um, it's it's um, devastating. There's, there's disease. There's deterioration. There's depression. There's chaos. There's cancellations. There's crying. There's even 
coronavirus that, that are just lurking all around us. And I think walk by fear, not by faith, we're going to cower back and get into little clusters. And we won't be commissioned, we won't be sent, we'll just be, be hunkered in until it blows away. And then we'll come out. That is not God's people's mission. Amen? So this is the prayer that I received from God through John in this passage. There's one word that I was riveted. Sorry, I was listening to all the other words, but there was one word that just riveted me, and it was this word right in the midst of Hebel, right in the midst of everything that we are facing even today. It says, go. So that's part of this pastoral prayer. It's go. Go back into there with wisdom, yes. With prudence, yes. Take precautions, yes. But it says, go. And it almost reminded me of when Jesus said in the midst of persecution and suffering, we are to let our light so shine among men that they may see our good deeds and glorify God in His visitation. Why does our light shine in that passage? I would commend to our consideration that it's this this joy that he talks about amid disappointments and difficulties and even disease. And so when I'm listening to John preach this, I go, oh my word, there it is. So I'm going to pray that we eat and drink and love and work amid Hebel in such a way that they see joy they see a merry heart. They see a walk by faith, not by fear kind of people. And so we invite people to eat with us, to drink with us. We, we love people. We work diligently with all our might for our neighbors who are hunkered down and in fear. And they look at us and they go, why are you joyful? I don't get it. Now we're on great commission. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, we thank you for gathering us this morning. We thank you for bringing Pastor John in, for giving him this particular difficult text in the midst of a particular difficult situation. We thank you for Brian and allowing him to lead us with these songs of hope, songs of courage, songs of bedrock, solid, promise-keeping, promise-making kind of Christ that we have. And now we want to walk by faith. And you tell us to go, leave here and be sent amid all this hebel, eating with great joy and gratitude and thanksgiving and drinking with merry hearts and laughing and praising you in the midst of chaos and then loving loving our spouses, loving our roommates, loving our friends, loving our neighbors in such a way that they see something different deep in our souls and they call it supernatural joy. And then we will work. And we will work with all diligence and all our might because there's an inner reality that is given on high, namely Christ lives in us. So gladden our hearts, strengthen our walk, and cause us to be risk-taking in a way that glorifies you, edifies the saints, and saves those stinky little rats that are running all around this world. Blessings and honor and praise be to you now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Let's stand together as we sing one final song. How firm a foundation. The first verse we celebrate together. The promises God has given us. And the last four verses we get to sing to one another. These promises from God to us. Let's receive these together. of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word what more can he say than to you he has said to you who for refuge to Jesus and in health, in poverty's valley, abounding in wealth, at home and abroad, on the land, on the sea, as your days made a man, shall your strength ever promises are good for us as we go. A couple announcements as we prepare to be sent out. One is that our plan for the next few weeks is not to gather here, but to gather in smaller groups and homes and use our technology to get 
our prayers and reading and preaching out to one another so we can stay united and devoted to that on the Lord's Day. Um, But as everything right now, plans are flexible and they're subject to change. And that's not because things are out of control. They're just because we don't know everything that is going to happen, but our God does. And so we're going to continue to prayerfully consider and be humble to to listen and, and make wise decisions together as a church. And we'll continue to communicate those plans as they come about, so I'd encourage you to stay in touch, check your email, check the, the website, um, check the other things we do to communicate with you that you already know about. Um, so those plans will continue to be made. One thing that is not changing is our month of prayer and fasting. We started on Thursday, and we are going to continue on calling everyone to pray morning and evening together during this time. We have these prayer booklets for you. There's some on the table on your way out. If you didn't get one before, please take one. If you know someone who's not here who doesn't have one, please take one for them as well. We want to continue to devote ourselves, though our Our days may look different, our mornings and our evenings will remain, and so let's continue devoted to that. Um, As well as on Wednesdays, we're going to be fasting together. There's information in the booklet on how to do that and what that means to be fasting together for particular topics that we have on an insert, and this coming Wednesday is for the preaching of God's Word, and we need specific prayer for that this week as we completely change how we're gathering. Please be in prayer that we can continue to devote ourselves to that and that God will continue to move through his preaching in our church for his glory and for the good of our church and for our city. Lastly, we end with a benediction. It's a blessing for us from God who sends us out into the world. Let's receive it. If you want to put your hands in the air, do so now. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. May he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Peace be with you.